0: Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm the DJ, the MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man that everyone says, don't go changing to try and please me. He's the man that does want clever conversation. We love him just the way he is. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate.
1: Oh, that was the sweetest thing you've ever said to me.
0: (laughs) Maybe. All right. So for this episode, we have a special guest who is a musician, but... He's also a member of the National Soccer Hall of Fame, member of the 1994 U.S. men's soccer team, and played for a number of teams. He's currently a soccer analyst for Fox Sports and also a podcaster, and that podcast is appropriately titled, Alexi Lawless State of the Union Podcast, so please welcome to the podcast, Alexi Lawless.
2: Wow, that was great. Thank you so much for having me. I am I'm excited. I am cocked and locked. <laughs> As the kids may say, the kids don't say that anymore. But you know, th- at one point they did say that.
1: <laughs> That's true.
2: For us people who are about the same age, because I think you're. When did you graduate high school? Uh, I graduated in June of 1988. I am 50 years old. Five o. All right. So, That's, so Wayne and I, yep.
0: eighty class of '87. So there we yeah. go. Yeah. All right. Uh, last but not least, we're joined by my little bro. Cause I couldn't have any kind of soccer conversation without him. So here he is again. And the guy who was happy when I exclaimed, I'm moving out. Here's Dave Montgomery. Uh,
3: I mean, I was a little happy, but not that happy.
0: All right. Well, it was, (laughs) it was the most appropriate Billy Joel lyric that I could, I could. That's fair. That's very fair. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right, well, premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, but we're going to talk some soccer as well. Uh, But as we do at the beginning of each podcast episode, I ask the all-important question, what T-shirt are you wearing? I'm going to start with Wayne.
1: Um, You know, I I actually had a Sounders FC shirt I was going to wear, but then uh, uh, Eddie Van Halen passed yesterday, and so I'm wearing my black Fender guitar uh, shirt. The Stratocaster was kind of a Frankenstein, but, but still it was the Stratocaster nonetheless.
2: There we go. All right. How about you, Alexi? What, uh, what t-shirt are you wearing? I am rocking a, uh, rat concert t-shirt, not a vintage rat concert t-shirt. Although it is, I was calculating it earlier, about 22 years old. It's a a rat shirt that I've had long sleeve black. Uh, I wore it every, every night, uh, back in the what would have been the fall of 1998 when uh, my band that I was playing in, we opened for Hootie and the Blowfish on a, uh, on a, uh, a leg of the, of their European tour. So it has seen a lot of things, and it still is with me and still smells like it has seen a lot of things. <laughs> that, that's awesome. Because of your one of your
0: suggested picks, so today I was listening to the Spotify This Is
2: Rat uh, playlist. It is my it is my favorite group uh, of all time. We all have our things, and you know it. it hit me at, at a time when uh, you know it's. I, I will I will die on the Rat Hill alone, but I will die there. <laughs> it's it's all good. We all have our our yeah. uh, our there things. The day when yep. I would
1: have died up there with you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that there's some good stuff though. Like there, like I I. I was done with out of the cellar. That was that was kind of my jumping off point. But today I'm listening to this this playlist and I gotta tell you, I, I saved giving yourself away to one of my, my groovy stuff playlists. Nice. Because I I dug it. It's I mean it's it's definitely wheelhouse of you know eighties eighties hard rock or hairband. What I mean, what what do you call rat? Are are I, they hairband?
2: Uh, I mean, yeah, they're 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 from that era, and, and I know it's a pejorative now to, to say that, but yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. But I think they're much more than that. I think that they're one of the great hard rock, uh, bands in yeah. in, in history, and I think Warren D. Martini is a genius when it comes to guitaring, and I think that they the production, uh, value was something that made them better than the average type of '80s hair metal band that you would talk about. Absolutely. All right, Dave, what t shirt are you wearing?
3: Uh, I am wearing uh, my USA men's national team jersey of Clint Dempsey from uh, the last time the US appeared in the World Cup. Um, obviously, pretty disappointing that they didn't make this last one, but. Uh, um, Which was I, like, what, 1980? And <laughs> it feels like it it feels like it um I'm sorry. I'm sorry. yeah uh what was that 2014 um anyways i i was i was gonna make a joke too since uh twitter is, has been all alight with with this conversation which uh, i'm sure alexi has seen too but i was gonna make the joke that uh this is the second best national team player that's ever played Clint Dempsey and of course we all know the number one is Jordan Morris of the sounders so <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping every Euro snob hears this right now and uh, and just choked on their phlegm a little bit
2: I, I, I love that there's you know obviously the, the the soccer angle here and that it's that it's Seattle based just warms the cockles of my red-headed heart because <laughs> I, I, I have such a, a wonderful love and appreciation and respect and or uh. Uh, You know, on off again type of um, back and forth with the people of Seattle. As we all know, Seattle invented everything, uh, including soccer, and and probably uh, (laughs) probably Billy Joel uh, and and pretty much anything else out there that uh, that we talk about. And we invented. uh, I'd be smug about soccer too. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right. I didn't tell you what my shirt is, so I'm I'm wearing my Shins shirt. Oh. And I don't, I don't know how that feeds into soccer or Billy Joel. It's just, yeah, just a shirt. Sometimes so, it's just a shirt. Sometimes. I
2: know. Wait, wait, that's it? You made such a big deal about it to me about having something planned, and there was an email about it, and you made sure you know you have to have something ready, and that's what you come up with. I did. You know, I'm. I've
0: been very lazy lately with the the T-shirt questions because. My wife has pretty much told me, she's like, we have no more room in the closet for any more t-shirts. <laughs> so I haven't bought any more um, recently. And uh, so, yeah, it's but I, I, I will tell you. So we're recording this the day after Eddie Van Halen passed away and I'm going to have to go purchase a Van Halen t-shirt. I'm doing a a disservice to our, our podcast by not having any. Anything even remotely Eddie Van Halen or Van Halen esque um, as a shirt to wear, so I'm going to have to get on that.
2: Are you doing it because you want to, or is this like a virtue signaling type of thing, or you want you want to look cool, or what? What's, what's- No, you know it's it's
0: kind of a weird thing. So uh, earlier in the summer, uh, somebody had recommended to me the Ted the Ted Templeman book, mm-hmm. and so I I went to go. Uh, check it out from the library. It it wasn't available. So I'm like, I'm going to go check out, uh, I guess it's Greg Renoff, who is uh, the writer on that. I checked out the the Van Halen book that he wrote. And I'm like, why have I not been listening to Van Halen for the last several years? So I kind of, I went through the whole David Lee Roth era um, and remembered why I absolutely loved that era. Um And so I started listening to the Sammy Hagar era because, you know, it felt like I had to be a completist at that point. And so I've just been in this Van Halen space. And then, of course, uh, the Ted Templeman book became available. So I started reading through that. And, of course, you know, a a big component of his producer life was first Doobie Brothers and then it was Van Halen. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. that's multiple chapters about about his his time with them so so i i kind of jumped back on board with the van halen love and so yesterday with eddie passing away it just felt like a severe gut punch and for us people who are in our you know in the 50s um you know i know wayne you and i cranked up 1984 on occasion i know that uh we listen to Diver Down in the old Ford Maverick on occasion, um, so you know it's it's part of our DNA. Like that's that's the music of our generation. You yep. know, you talk about yeah. Rat. I mean, Van Halen is
1: well, Van gosh. Halen is completely responsible for hair metal. That's what all those bands were trying yep. to be like. The lead singer with the hair and the spandex and the guitar player that played really fast. That's that's what it was all. That's what those bands were trying to, to get. That's who they were emulate, or trying to emulate. Um, I, Van Halen, for a long time, was my absolute favorite band in the world. I was, I was heartbroken when David Lee Roth left, and I, I, I drank the Kool-Aid and believed it was the Van Halen brothers, and, and it turned out he was a complete megalomaniacal maniac.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, how many David Lee Roth solo records do you have in your collection, though, too? though Four. Exactly. So, some something is speaking to you from Dave. Uh,
1: yeah, he. That's I, that's that's two that's two different questions.
0: I guess I should I should preface this with saying so. Little brother is eleven years younger than me. Okay. So so Van Halen was not part of his DNA. That's true. Yeah. And I don't know. Did I ever play Van Halen around you? That um, you remember.
3: <laughs> Yes and no. Um, no, in, in, in that I can't like remember a, you know, specific moment where I heard them, but I'm, I'm going to say yes in just that, you know, every time Van Halen came on, it was like, Oh, I, I recognize that song. You know, they're, you know, like you said, they're, they're not in my, in my DNA, you know, I'm definitely a a kid of the nineties for sure. But, um, yeah. You know, they, they, they made a lot of great tunes. And so it's, you know, it's, it's never like when they come on, I'm going to like turn the station cause I hate them. That's definitely not it. You know, they're a fantastic band and I've always had amazing respect for, for them as a group. And especially Eddie as a, as a musician, what a fantastic mm-hmm. guitar player. And, and, you know, he <laughs> played piano too. So, you know, I had mad respect for him. What's that?
1: He was originally the drummer.
3: that's that's wild (laughs) that's wild i had no idea yeah they switch they switch instruments yeah
2: did you guys had do the thing that uh that we often do with with bands where you come in mid discography and 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 then go back because you mentioned diver down so for me my introduction to van halen was was diver down i still hold it incredibly near and dear as an album and i know it doesn't uh, it doesn't it's not always up there when, when people talk about the Van Halen uh, catalog. but then obviously going 1984 was was nuts in terms of the album. and then but but when Diver down came along, then I then I went back with the back catalog and it was just blown away by all the stuff because uh, you know, was I was a little young for the original when, or when when Van Halen originally came out. Mm. but also to your point, um, I didn't realize I was going to be hit as hard uh, when it happened. We all know he's been sick for a long time. And so it's not necessarily the, the surprise, but especially for kids of the eighties uh, I mean, all the words that, that that you use about, you know, legend and genius uh, apply. And then you mentioned his ability, uh, you know, I, like listening to eruption for me, I, I understand how seminal a moment was and how it fundamentally changed the way we look at guitar and the way the guitar is played. But For me, what made him great was this was this genius who understood so much about the song and the music, uh, and if it didn't fit for the song, it it wasn't right. So, I mean, I I think he was just an incredible writer, uh, and that he was able to use that genius is amazing. And... In 1984, for example, to be able to pivot as one of the guitar gods, one of the greatest ever to play the guitar, to pivot to synthesizer and still come out with a seminal album in 1984 uh, for, for that, you know, I mean, that's just an amazing, amazing feat. And then obviously to go on with a whole new singer and still have success and continue to write, just great. And, and while they are, you know, you, you mentioned the, the, the start of the hair metal. For me, they're they're a pop rock band, and I think that pop part of it is is a huge, huge part of why they were uh, successful, and a huge yep. part of the incredible ability and talent that Eddie Eddie Van Halen had. Yeah, I mean, as yeah. soon as they went more on the
0: hard rock side with you know women and children first, that wasn't a huge hit, but i i still I still love that record.
1: It should be that record is amazing. that's that's yeah. the first record I heard. I, I had older uncles and aunts that were were not old, that much older than me so I was able to get get in right there. But that record, um, I even think uh, fair warning is it's darker, but it's still uh incredible. everything they they did with David Lee Roth, I thought like I don't know of I can't even think of a song. Even their that corny version of uh Happy Trails at the end of Diver Down, which was just felt like a California party band saying, No matter how big we get, we're still a goofy California party band. Yeah. Uh they just nothing they could for me that those first those David that David Lee Roth there is like perfect. But then when you get you, you bring in a guy like Sammy Hagar and and they change there's a diff, there's a different sound, but again it's similar. It's so similar. And they just went on like nothing. And became, I mean, in a lot of ways, they, it was a great time for them because they got a little more mature. David Lee Roth is, is a ham. And, and I, it just, the way they transitioned and pivoted out of that into this, 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 I almost see them as two different groups, but I mean, at the same time, the two things that always, the thing that always holds them together is the Van Halen brothers. Uh, yeah. And they're just incredible musicians.
0: I came in at Diver Down, same same as you Alexi and I wasn't really listening to a lot of hard rock at the time so my introduction came from you know dancing in the streets which was it was a pop song Mm -hmm. you know it's it got some some crossover of course the rock stations were playing it because it was Van Halen as well but it was a pop song and so you know you kind of get that as your your gateway, and then you get into the harder stuff, which is you know you go back a couple records I mean the first two records i I could just play those over and over again like i I love those first two records they're just fantastic yeah. all right are we are we done? <laughs> are we done giving giving love to Eddie because he deserves all the love that we can give
1: yeah go
0: all right next all right so alexi i've got a philosophical question for you love it all right hit me and and one that i think that my brother would like answered as well (laughs) so why don't i like men's soccer more
2: uh because it doesn't uh it's not fast food uh it doesn't arrive ready to eat it makes you work for it um it requires a level of patience and an acceptance of frustration obviously it's not high scoring um, and it's in many ways is the antithesis of American sports and what we consider traditional American sports out yeah. there so I mean uh, is that enough <laughs> of a reason right yeah, there
0: yeah maybe I should maybe I should go back so I was. So, I was a proud member, and Wayne, I think you're an occasional member of the Bleacher Bums for the MISL Tacoma Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still a big Steve Jungle fan.
2: Oh, who isn't?
0: Uh, a fan of Precky, a sure. fan of Godfrey Ingram. Okay. Um, Wayne and I went to high school with Homer Screws. He was a, he was a few years older than us, but um, nevertheless, he was kind of a. He was kind of a god in our high school, wasn't he, Wayne?
1: Uh, yeah, to some degree.
0: All right. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, soccer player Tattoo once threatened to kick my ass when I was part <laughs> of that Bleacher Bums. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and my brother, um, when I was on vacation back in 2015, took me to the Seattle-Portland game, also known as the Red Card Wedding Game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have two kids who play soccer as well. So was I, was I just tainted from
2: watching?
1: Yeah. Well, I think football. i I've,
2: you. <laughs> you, I've never heard anybody think or even, uh, <laughs> even come up with a, a, a reason that they were tainted by indoor soccer. No, um. <laughs> No, I, I think you just you kind of just rattled off plenty of American soccer credentials, and and so your cred, I think, is is there. But you know, like like Bonnie Raitt saying, "I can't make you love you love me if you don't." I mean, it's yeah. it is, it's either in you. Now, you you said you went to a Seattle Portland game, so yeah, the 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 actual kicking of the ball and the flow of the game and all that, you know that that that's that's fine. But I think what has happened. Um, and Seattle's a perfect example. Portland's a perfect example. Is it, it's become a lifestyle, and that's that is kind of cool. And the way people talk and think and and act and view themselves and view the world is oftentimes through this lens of this international game that is now ours. And in a unique way, it can come to re- represent our communities and and our. Uh, uh, you know, and our in our cities, because of that supporters culture that has grown up, and it's all different. So the Seattle uh, supporters are different than Portland, they are different than uh, New York and Dallas, and all over the uh, all over the place. And that's that's a good thing. And if you if you get into that, then I think then I think you can fall in love, and it will be based on something more than a ball going in the net, or yeah. you know, a, a great player, or the or the wins and losses ultimately, right. Yeah,
0: Dave, Dave. has tried mercilessly uh, trying to trying to convince me <laughs> that I should be more of a soccer fan. And you're you're probably right. I mean, I I probably should be more of one. Um, I've watched a lot of soccer, especially over the last several years. I mean, my my 16 year old, he's been playing since he was 10, um, and he he got pretty good. I would say he's third or fourth best kid on on his team, but they're capped out at 16 and in the league that we're at. So he's pretty much done. And somebody told me, well, it's, it's because it's not fast paced enough for you. And I'm like, um, I'm, I'm a baseball aficionado. Like I'm, I'm getting ready to start a baseball podcast. Yeah. Um, you want to talk about slow play. I know all about slow pay. I've, 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 I've been to my share of two to one ball games, you know? Mm -hmm. So
2: uh, I, I don't know. Well, I hope you don't feel intimidated. Uh, And, and I I hope that you don't, but, you know sometimes we do that, and we get all high and mighty and, and and elitist and snobby about our game, especially because we've kind of been put down for so long and and I hope that's not the case. I hope it at least at least you feel like it's inviting and inclusive, and we're yeah. inviting you into this soccer tent, and whether you stay or not, who knows, but uh, as long as you feel like it's still there and by the way, even if you check out, we'll still be here, and you can still come back and we will embrace you and bring you back in, and maybe it's just going to take you a little bit longer,
0: yeah. How is the 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 game itself? Because I uh, I've only been to one Orlando game. Um, I really should be taking my kids when when it's safe again. Mm-hmm. I really should be taking them to to more games. I guess I've taken them to two games though, right, Dave? Because we we
3: went yeah, to the, Seattle. Yeah, Nico Ladero's second match that he played down. There, oh, okay. Yeah, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah. So I
0: I, I probably need to give it another fair shake, but, um, you, you know, it's not,
2: it's not the law. I mean, you're, you're acting, <laughs> not you're not acting I like know. this is something that you, you feel like you've, uh, you've stunted their growth or, or you're, you're being a bad parent for not doing this. That's not the That's not the case at all. You're, you're doing a fine job, whether they have soccer or not in the, in their life. And by the way, soccer will find a way. Soccer will find you, uh, regardless of what you do or don't do with, with your kids or yourself. If it's, if it's to be, it will, it will happen. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Dave. Wh- why did you become such a soccer nerd? Like, no. it, is it is it just because of of the culture up there in the Northwest where you pretty much? Because I, I mean, I don't live up there anymore. So yeah,
3: I I think that has a lot to do with it. When you know, when people ask me that question, it's like, oh God, this is going to take forever. But I'll, I'll definitely point out like like certain moments for me where it kind of you know, reeled me in. Um, my best friend who I lived with for a couple years, he, he played soccer in high school and, and I now kick myself for not, you know, getting involved in, in trying it out. Cause you know, I didn't really start playing until I was 35 and I love it, you know? Um, but uh, we, he took me to actually he, what's funny is he doesn't even remember the match really, but uh, he took me to a game in 09, which was the, the, the Sounders first year in major league soccer. And um, they were playing the Chicago fire and and Blanco was on the other team. And he, he went down early, like somebody kicked him in the shin. Of course he was rolling around on the ground. And of course me, being new to soccer it's it's kind of like oh great here we go another guy rolling around on the ground with a boo-boo and then a lot of the people around us because we were sitting next to the supporter section they all started chanting let him die and it's kind (laughs) of like oh we gonna say that we gonna say that okay and and albeit it's a chant that you don't really hear anymore um (laughs) maybe we just grew up as a as a collective or something but uh but anyways we we all were chanting let him die and I just thought it was the coolest thing and then from then on out anytime he touched the ball the entire stadium booed and it was it was just such a fun atmosphere and um, at the at the end of the match it was a 1 to 1 tie and Grant looked over at me and he's like I'm sorry that it's a tie <laughs> you know just like Oh I took my my poor American sports loving friend to a soccer game, and there was a tie like he must <laughs> eat this and I was like, "No, man, this was so much fun i I love this and um you know, a few weeks later on um was able to go to another match and so I was kind of just going to like one match a year but as as my buddies Became season ticket holders and and were going more often and making me tag along. Um, I went to the 2011 Open Cup Championship at CenturyLink Field there, and that was electric and and um, you know just also kind of silly. The the high school that I was uh, subbing and coaching basketball and fast pitch at, they needed an announcer for girls soccer, and I did that, and that was a lot of fun too. You know, because a lot of those kids were my kids that I coached in other sports. So to 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 kind of bring this long winded answer to an end is it's kind of all of these things. Um, you know, all these people that that I love and care about love this game, too. And eventually it was just going to rub off, you know, and uh, and so I, I absolutely love. The game. I'm so glad that I'm involved more in it. Um, I'll be going into my third year of coaching soccer, which is something that if you told me, you know, seven, eight years ago that I would be doing, I'd, I would definitely laugh in your face. Um, but I just, I love it.
0: Which I probably should have used that as part of your intro that the team that you coached last year, your high school team, finished second in state for their division.
3: Well, we were, we are a little lower, but <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we ended up losing to a private school, which won That's the right. state championship uh, uh, okay. a week That's... later. Yeah. Which, which is a real bummer, but you know, it's, they're a good team. Um, and we can't be ashamed of what we, what we did. That was our only loss the season. And and I'm just the assistant coach. So much credit goes to the, the head coach and of course the kids put in so much work. Um, you know, I, I have such an appreciation for the athletes and, you know, I, I try to go to a couple Sounders practices each year and just kind of watch. And, um, I always just appreciate what, what they do, you know, all the work that they put in. So, um, you know, I, I'm just a small cog in, in what they do and, and I'm so happy I can be along for the ride. Yeah. So. So,
0: Alexa, you've seen a lot of stuff with the, the the culture of of soccer. I mean, from the start of of you um, being on the U.S. team from way back when. I mean, there was no pro outdoor league. The MISL was pretty much done. Um, you know, at the beginning of the '90s. So, why has why has the U.S. kind of started to embrace this? I mean, it, I think it's taken. 30 years but um is it just because there are there's more access to it
2: i i think it appeals uh to not just the 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 players but uh in general the, the the fans and people that look at it um and the international aspect of it. I think that that is very appealing to people. You know, I mentioned the the culture surrounding it. And, yeah. and you know, it, there's a lot of parallels between that and, and music. And whether it's a genre of music or a, a band or whatever that kind of starts – underground and then gets bigger and you know it's been interesting even the phenomenon of what you know when you lose you let that band and they go play bigger venues and they're everybody's band now there's there's an element of that too for mm-hmm. especially those of us that have been around a while as more people come in and you really got to get over that you really have to celebrate the fact that there are so many more people that are tasting it. And look, I don't care when you come to it. It doesn't matter to me, as long as, as, long as you're, you're there and you come into this this tent. And that's why we try to be as inviting as possible. And the fact, you know, when I was growing up, uh, I, when I was 10 years old, I would go out onto my sidewalk in front of my house. I grew up in uh, in Michigan in the suburbs of Detroit. And I would go out and, and juggle my soccer ball on the sidewalk in front of my house. And one of the cool parts about being a soccer player was that I knew on the other side of the world, there was a ten-year-old boy or girl kicking the kicking the ball and doing the exact same thing. I might have absolutely nothing in common with them—language, uh, culture, whatever—but this was a thread, and this was something that we did have in common, and that that was cool for me. And I look—I I grew up playing hockey. I was a huge hockey player and a huge, and still am a huge hockey player and fan. I love it, and I love all the American sports that I grew up with. But soccer kind of was different uh, in that it was it was of the world and you know while I, I, I maintain that uh, that I am uh, living in the greatest country in the world, certainly with lots of problems, I also recognize that I'm part of the world and that, that the rest of the world, Plays that game, and that always really, really appealed to me. I think it appeals to a lot of folks, uh, a lot of folks out there. And it's no longer niche. It's no longer underground. It's above ground. It's vibrant. It's discerning, and it's really, really unique. And for a long time, we kind of apologized for what we aren't as a soccer nation, and that that's that's done. We don't have to apologize. We do things differently. Uh, as I said, it's very, very unique, but it is. An American version of the game. And there's nothing wrong with that. We've been able to take the best parts that exist around the world and kind of create this, this new version of not, not necessarily how we kick the ball, but how we look at the game and how we support the game and how we grow the game and all of those different things. Yeah. How has how COVID affected the, the game? I mean, there's no, obviously no fans uh, for the most part. A couple of them uh, different places. Uh, So the fan... Culture and the you know the supporters culture and the environment that's created. I mean, you talked about it. It's very different. It's very different than going to a baseball game or a football game or a basketball game. And that's part of what the draw is and the attraction and the singing and the chanting. W- whether you're whether you're uh, uh, you know sitting in the supporter section or whether you're just in the stadium, it's a very very different and. Um, Exciting uh, type of experience, and one that a lot of people, when they do experience it for the first time, are jolted, and because it's something that's that's so uh, that's so different than anything that they have grown up with, oftentimes. And so, not having that, like any sport, it's it's problematic. But you know, we're all muddling through this together and trying to figure it all out. But I, I can't wait till we're able to get back into. You know, whether it's a concert hall or, or, or a stadium uh, and to be able to commune and, and be there because it changes everything. It changes how you act. It changes the experience. Um, and without it, a, a huge part of what makes the game and the experience memorable is gone. Yeah. All right, Dave, before we switch gears to talk about
0: music, um, any other <laughs> soccer questions for Alexi?
3: I, I, yeah, I have a couple and, and we, we did touch on a, on a few of these, these things already, but, um, so bro, I mean, you mentioned how, you know, how soccer has changed drastically and that was something that I thought about too, Alexi, that when you were leaving college in 91, correct?
2: Uh, yeah. Fall of, yeah. 91. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's no more NASL that had been Mm -hmm. long gone, um, major indoor soccer league is about to, you know, go to like, I guess, what was your kind of experience with, with the game in this kind of in between time of you being in college and and having a lot of success there to, you know, this, Oh my God, the U S is hosting a world cup. (laughs) And by the way, there's all these cool guys that play on it. Um, what was that like?
2: Yeah, so I mean, look, I, I grew up like a lot of kids uh, growing up in the 70s and 80s, uh, especially as it pertains to, to soccer. Orange peels and juice boxes at halftime, mom and dad coaching, all of that kind of stuff. I'm a product of whether it's AYSO or club soccer. And, you know, I graduated to travel teams and doing all that, you know, playing tournaments on the weekend with. 17 games in two days or three days or anything like that. All, I did all of that stuff. I didn't do it with an eye to being a professional soccer player. And I certainly didn't do it with an eye to playing in World Cups or Olympics or anything like that, just because that wasn't really, you know, that ambition wasn't my, on my wall was was Steve Iserman from the Red Wings or Joe Elliott from Def Leppard or the guys from RAT or David Lee Roth or, or whatever. That's what 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 I was on my wall. And, and so I didn't think about that. Uh, and I went to, like you said, I went to college. And I went the college route, which was the traditional type of route if you wanted to play it at the next level in the United States growing up. And there wasn't that. NASL had long gone. And there was indoor. And I certainly got drafted by different indoor teams. But it was a real Wild West and you know very uh, sparse type of existence and if you wanted to be a professional soccer player in the United States that changed obviously in 96 with major league soccer and and the formation of what now has become the most successful american soccer league in history but you know there was there was some some times where i didn't know and and that doesn't happen anymore obviously I, I i continued on and played for the us national team and and timing and serendipity the world cup happened the men's world cup happened in 1994 and one of the reasons why i'm talking to you today is because of what happened in the summer of 94 which was the world cup here we're going to have another one in 2026. It's going to be great. But I live the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual. It changed my life forever. Um, but without that, who knows if I would have gone on and, and had opportunities. Now, a kid growing up today has so many more opportunities. You mentioned, you know, they can go and watch the Seattle Sounders play and they can emulate the players that they see on the field and, and a Jordan Morris or something like that. They can watch it on television. They can watch leagues from all over the world uh, on television. So, and they have no idea. They have no idea how different it was. And that's fine. I look at that with a sense of pride that there's a whole generation right now that has none of the challenges that that we had. And it was challenging. And I, I, you know, I'm, I, I'm not jealous of where it is right now, but I think it, it's amazing how far we've come. And we like to crap on ourselves for what we haven't done and sometimes... <laughs> you know, we have to pat ourselves on the back for how far we've come in a relatively short period of time. We're talking 25, 30, 30 years. Uh, and the progress that we've made on and off the field as a soccer playing nation is pretty incredible when you throw it up against pretty much anywhere else in the world.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That's true. On one of your last episodes on your podcast, you're kind of talking about how we should feel good about, uh, you know, this new crop of of young players coming into the national team. And, and if I can get like a little bit bigger than just Hey, we have these guys that are, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old playing in Europe and some good guys here in MLS as well. Like what, what do you view as kind of the future for U S soccer, whether that's the national teams or MLS or, or whatever, what, where do you see us going from here?
2: All right. So when it comes to Major League Soccer, I, you know, I I would look at it the ambition. The ambition should be the greatest league in the world, um, and the attraction of coming to live and play in North America uh, should not be discounted. Now we got a long way to go, um, and lots of competition, but that should be the ambition, and I certainly see that happening in the future. A migration, the likes of which we saw happen to England, can certainly happen, and much more so in, in North America. I mean people didn't migrate to the EPL, the English Premier League, which is the most popular league in the world because of the weather and the food in England, all right? They went because of <laughs> the money and the prestige. Yeah. And a lot of people want to live in North America, and a lot of people want to live in the United States, and a lot of soccer players would, wa- would want to come. So I-, I see that as the ambition. When it comes you know, to, to the actual game, look, um, we are champions and we are number one uh, when it comes to our women's team. And that has fundamentally changed the way we think, not just about women's soccer, but the way we think about American soccer. Uh, when it comes to the men's side, we're not. And uh, we still have a long way to go. But as you mentioned, there's there's a lot of talent out there. And we're seeing some of that talent be given opportunities at some really, really big clubs uh, around the world. And that's great. But I, I will caution, and, and I guess we can, we can end it here, that the men's team may win the next World Cup. Next World Cup's in 2022. We may win that World Cup. We may win it in 2026. It's not a silver bullet. It doesn't. All of a sudden, we don't get up the next day, and we are suddenly a soccer-playing nation that is going to right. dominate the world, and all of yeah. our problems and challenges that we have uh, are solved. Now, look, it's a nice, it's a nice thing, and and I, I'm all here, I'm here for it. I would love to see it happen, but there's a whole lot other stuff that I think we do have to be proud of, and we do have to continue, and plenty of problems that we uh, that we have to fix. Um, you know, when it comes to our game, but you know, right now you continue and hopefully get even better when it comes to our women's game, and not just winning World Cups, but having young women uh play and being given opportunities uh continue with the nwsl which is the, the the women's league and and continue to have a a vibrant and growing type of women's uh culture and league when it comes to that um and then obviously major league soccer and all the leagues usl uh, the, all the, uh, from from top to bottom and then some point in the future hopefully the men uh, win a world cup and we use that and we use that as a, as a nice injection to take us to that next level but you know this is this is a slog. It always has been, and it will continue to be when it comes to American soccer. But it's a labor of love, and whether it's whether it's you coaching high school or people going to a Seattle Sounders game, I know a lot of us that kick the ball get a lot of the credit. And the reality is, there's men and women every single day that are working their ass off for no money, very little money, and certainly no attention or credit that de- deserve as much, if not more, attention and praise for what they are doing for the game and continue to do for the game.
3: Here, here. Yep. Cool, man. So I I, just one last, I was just going to say one last thing though, to, to kind of soccer related, but also it could be anything. Um, what I was just thinking like, what is the best thing that has come from your involvement in soccer, whether it is something directly soccer related or, or just like some sort of experience.
2: Uh, the international aspect of, I mean, living in different countries, uh, learning different language, traveling the world, and you know, getting out of either the bubble that I grew up in or the bubble that is the United States. And as I said before, I, I, I love it. The, the, one of the greatest moments of my life uh, has been and continues to be the moment that I land back home after a trip at JFK or LAX or whatever. I mean that that moment. I am moved by that moment of coming home to the country that I love. Having said that, being able to experience through the game and through the lens of the game, all these different countries and cultures, I mean, soccer has enabled me to open my mind and enabled me to be a whole lot more well-rounded when it comes to my place here and my place in the world. Um, and I wouldn't have had it probably without soccer. It's, you know, the other sports and, and traditional American sports are much more provincial. Uh, and, you know, it, it's... Uh, it, it is the international language, and as such, it affords all sorts of incredible opportunities, both on and off the field. I mean, I, I mentioned you know touring with with Hootie. That doesn't happen <laughs> without without uh, you know without the soccer part. So all of those different opportunities, and I've I've milked them over the years, on and off the field. Uh, I don't have any regret. I burned it at both ends for a long time. <laughs> I remember some of it. I rem- I've forgotten some of it, but it's been a hell of a ride, and I've had so much fun. And I and I and I pinch myself. I'm incredibly fortunate and lucky. And, and I guess the word nowadays is, uh, privilege. privileged. I'm incredibly privileged for the, the life that I have been afforded through the game of soccer.
0: Yeah. How That's many awesome. records
2: have you, have you put together? Oh, let's see. I'm on probably eight, uh, I'm probably going on my ninth. So for my mom and the other two people that buy it, uh, they're waiting with bated breath as, uh, as <laughs> I uh, put together the next one.
0: Okay. So where do you find the time to create music, watch soccer, Work on your commentating, um, work on your podcast, Still have time for family. I
2: mean, how, how are you how are you doing all that? You just become efficient, um, you know, and you recognize, well, I know that I can't function as a human being without music in my life. And whether it's listening yeah. to music or creating music, and I'm sitting in front, I'm sitting in my, in my studio right now, and I got a, a you know, a, a Pro Tool session up in the background here. And so I'm, I'm constantly creating and recording and writing. Uh, and, you know, to the extent that that uh, that I'm performing, I'm performing. Um you know, it's just it keeps me busy. I don't want to just sit around. I mean, this is this has been difficult for everybody. I, I understand twenty twenty is a is a hell of a year, and it's just kind of oh, keep man. on coming, and we're all muddling through this, to, you know, through this together, and the routine that that I have or anybody has has been completely disrupted. And, um, you know, that travel part that that, that that I love about my job and my life um, and, you know, the interaction with so many people has, has been disruptive. But it gives you time to spend time with family. It gives me time to write uh, and to record and to do all those things. And I know that I'm a better person having music in my life. And, even before I was kicking a ball I had music and I will and certainly have had it after I stopped kicking a ball uh, professionally and it was introduced to me by from my mother and or kicking my ass out of the uh, house and having me go two blocks down to mrs. Van Heusen's piano lessons and I hated her and cursed her the entire way and I love her so much because it introduced me to something that has been such a huge part of my life and continues to be a huge part of my life which is music yeah. I checked out some of you, some of your stuff uh, out on Spotify. Do you not have a website for your music?
0: No, nope, I don't have a website for the music. No, now is that because of like contractual obligations with Fox, or is you just
2: no? I just haven't. I just haven't done it. I mean, it's obviously yeah. up on all the uh, uh, you know the platforms out there, but I haven't done uh, the website part of it. So, gotcha. I need an afternoon. <laughs>
0: Right. I was like, well, you're you don't have time to do that as well. So, you, you're already busy with all these other things. So, yeah. I, I get it. All right. Well, um, by the way, American Outlife, I put that on one of my Spotify lists. Oh, cool.
2: Cool. Yeah. Dug Thank you. Song. So, it. now I got four people. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I say my mom, but even she's, you know, a, a <laughs> critic and no, she fine. comes and goes when it comes to the albums.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I totally get it I think my mom has listened to maybe two of my podcast episodes and I'm pretty sure that Dave was the one who um, <laughs> pushed play for her so I get
3: it that, yeah. that sounds accurate yeah 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 <laughs> but also I mean also at the same time I'm pretty sure she's maybe listened to my album once so yeah I, I feel you yeah that's true
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, Alexi, tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. I chose uh, "Glass
2: Houses" from Billy Joel, uh, which was released in 1980. A, I, I I'd call it a seminal a seminal album for Billy Joel in that it 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 was obviously very popular, but I think it also changed the way that we think about Billy Joel, and it's still to this day one of my favorite uh, albums. I think it's. I think it's there's some genius in the way that it was crafted and what it what it meant in the moment and it continues to be and it and it holds up. And I know it probably
0: wasn't your first choice, right? For to to, I mean, what for what album to do? Yeah, because we 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 kind of had a dialogue, and um, you're like, um, I want to make sure that we do something that you guys are up for because i listened to your poison episode and <laughs> no, that was brutal um in, in <laughs> fact my my co-worker was listening to my co-worker is a big poison fan and um he he sent me a message uh today he's like hey i'm listening to your poison episode man wayne
2: really hates that record <laughs> okay. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted to do something that that you guys would enjoy, and you guys were up for, and yeah. and maybe you know the business part of my brain was was reading too much into it. In that, I want to make sure that people you know recognize it and not, it's not completely obscure, and that people want to listen and download yeah. this this podcast. But considering you know we've spent an hour now talking about soccer, that's you know the whole business aspect I think has been blown out the window.
0: Yeah. It's it's all good. In fact, um, <laughs> last night I recorded um, with uh, my uh, with my best friend. We did an episode with the former drummer of Toad the Wet Sprocket. No way, Randy. Randy. Um, three hours long. Oh my god! I don't even know how wow. I'm going to edit that. I mean, once we started asking randy questions like it was just story upon story upon story and so um so i get it no one's gonna listen to that episode except for diehard toad fans um (laughs) but it's all good it's all good
3: i'll probably listen to it just to make fun of you two just fangirling the whole time Uh, we were Absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad Absolutely. you can admit that.
0: A to- I'm total fanboy when it comes to Toad, so it's all good. And Wayne was sidelined for that one because you know he's Wayne.
1: I don't I don't love him enough. I don't like Toad What's Brocket enough to get on that podcast.
0: For three hours. <laughs> for three hours. Yeah. All right. Um let's do let's get some bio info. So um Glasshouse's seventh studio album from Billy joel released like you mentioned in 1980 March 12th to be exact it uh, it um, it seems odd to me but what I read was with his song it's still rock and roll to me that was the first song of his to reach number one does that seem weird to you guys
3: yes that
0: doesn't seem right yeah so uh, so uh, I looked at some of the previous songs Off of previous records. So off of 52nd Street, My Life peaked at three. Big Shot, 14. And Honesty only peaked at number
2: 24.
0: Hmm. Uh, From The Stranger, Just the Way You Are peaked at three. Moving Out, and She's Always a Woman. We're only at number 17. And then Only the Good Die Young peaked at 24. So that just seems crazy to me that this would have been his first time. And it, like you mentioned, Alexi, this was a little bit different approach than previous records. I think those records all had a little bit of rock to them, but they also had those those really big uh, adult contemporary ballads. And this album really doesn't have a ballad.
2: Yeah, it doesn't uh you know the interesting thing is if if it is true and I'm, I I have no reason to doubt you if this is you know his first number one I mean look it sold whatever seven I don't know how many million uh albums but it's still not his number one selling album but it still had that uh had that number one and and you know as you mentioned it it's a departure any any way you slice it it is a departure from the the I mean literally the piano man uh and what we had come to know him as, and when you read when you read up about this album, and you read the interviews, and even you hear him talk about how you know they had started to play arenas and they had started to to do bigger bigger venues, and yeah. some songs work and some songs don't. I mean, he literally needed rock songs to fill the venues that he was playing, and he didn't have enough of them. And you can only do so many uh, you know sensitive gentle ballads in front of twenty thousand people in a in a hockey rink. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Um, the album was a number one hit uh, six weeks on the top of the charts. This is the 41st best-selling album of the 1980s. Hmm. Um, all right. Um, he did win a Grammy Award for this for Best Rock Vocal Performance. However, he lost out in the album of the year. You guys want to know what the nominees were? Yeah. All right, Wayne, got your vitriol ready?
1: Oh, absolutely Poison? All right. What? No, <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: Alright, nominees Pink Floyd the Wall Frank Sinatra Trilogy, Past, Present, and Future Barbra Streisand Guilty The one that had Barry Gibb uh, all over it, he produced it And then Christopher Cross, his debut <sighs> record Wow. What do you think? One album of the year, Wayne.
1: I, I believe Christopher Cross's debut.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe
1: London Calling was uh, released that year too, but I guess you can't. Not nominated. Sorry, no. buddy.
0: Not nominated. <laughs> um, and yeah, this is where Wayne would make fun of me because I have a signed album of the Grammy <laughs> winner hanging in my office wall because I love Christopher Cross.
2: All right. What? what is, that, is that a problem, loving Christopher Cross? Because if, if it is. I, I don't. Not, I don't hey, I, you know. according to Wayne, it is.
1: I, it's not a problem. I just don't do it. That's that doesn't make it a problem. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my God, he's a he's a musical genius. What are you talking about? I,
1: he is, he's a talented musician.
0: Since we're since we're talking about nominees, so so Billy won the Grammy Award for Best Male Rock Vocal. Here are the other nominees: Jackson Brown for Boulevard, Paul McCartney coming up, which. That's a horrible song. Um, I hate that song. Uh, Kenny Loggins, I'm all right. And then Bruce Springsteen. This was a medley: "Devil with the Blue Dress," "Good Golly Miss Molly," and "Jenny Take a Ride." Like what? really, right? You couldn't even do like one of his, you know, popular. <laughs> like, wasn't that what? What? Ta- what time period would that have been? Would that have been the River?
1: Um it's, it's in Or that. was
0: River River a year after.
1: I thought that was seventy-eight, but all right. I'm not sure.
0: Um some reviews that I read talked about how this album was essentially Billy's response to critics who said that he was too mainstream, which I kind of think is is a little bit funny because um I thought that his mainstream stuff would come a few years later after this, but um, maybe I'm wrong. What What are your guys' opinions of Billy as, quote, a mainstream artist?
1: I think that this is, I mean, like I say, what was his, 52nd Street was a number one record. The Stranger was a number two record. Everything before that was maybe top 40 at best. So, I mean, he's clearly on a run. He's, the thing about Billy Joel is he's not a critic, he 's not a critical darling, and I got to thinking about that and critics like to break things apart and they like the they they like subtext and analogy, and he just sings songs that are pretty easy to figure out what he's talking about and so he's never he's just not a critical darling he's not he's not candy I relate him more to like domestic beer it tastes good you're you, you're gonna get drunk it's i mean but is it the best <laughs> kind of beer out there? maybe not is it the most interesting? Maybe not, but it's good. It's 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 fun to listen to.
0: See, Wayne has to come up with the beer analogies. I don't sure. have to. I just yeah, that's sure. the
1: easiest thing to come up with.
0: <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. What what other records were you listening to at this this
2: time period, Alexi? Okay, so 1980. I mean, this was right at the um, my awakening, I guess <laughs> for for. Uh, Uh, for music and it would have been like uh hollow notes kiss on my list or uh lost in love from air supply or um that kind of stuff i mean the first album i ever had was a a a rolling stones album and and you know a couple years well this is this is 80 so starting to get into pat benatar and, and that kind of stuff so that's that's what was happening. I was, as I said, I grew up in uh, in Detroit, and so whatever was on WLLZ and WRIF, uh, whatever was cranking at that uh, at that moment was what what I was listening to. And okay. uh, and this, and I was turned on to this specifically because of the single, uh, because of it's still rock and roll to me. And I know it wasn't the first single, but th- that's what got me into the actual uh, album. So I was much more about. The singles and the cuts that I would hear on radio, I had not transitioned into the full album type of existence that would come a little bit later, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that as we get to
0: side two because I think the first time I've ever listened to Side two was when I purchased the record uh, about six months ago. So I mean, uh, look, I for the longest time, I was Billy Joel's greatest hits guy, like mm-hmm. that. That and that and that's fine. I mean, um, somebody asked me what what I thought were the greatest greatest hits records of all time, and I I said, well, Tom Petty's for sure. That's that's the best greatest hits record ever. And I would say better than Journey. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> better uh, than Journey. Okay, uh, and right. I and, but I would say I would say Billy Joel's Greatest Volume One and Two. That's that's up there, that's that's some good stuff. I don't know, Wayne. I know that you hate greatest hits records, but
1: I don't know. I don't hate them. I have lots of them. I don't think they work on this podcast. I don't like them. They're like technically uh, there's like a loophole, but they're they should be exempt. But I have the box set that has the first three Billy Joel greatest hits. So this was my first. The previous year, my aunt had given me my cool aunt gave me the gave me Fifty Second Street on cassette, and I. I wore that thing out. I couldn't figure out why half a mile away wasn't being on the radio. I loved everything about it. So when this came out, I was I was primed.
0: Yeah. Anything else before we jump in track by track? You guys ready to do it?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. So as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. Wayne, how many songs on this record? Just ten. Just ten. Perfect. Means- Perfect. Top song wow. is going to get ten points. Next favorite, nine points. On down to lowest score of one. Um, yeah, and thank God it's only ten because we got a couple episodes that are like seventeen to twenty songs long. So Ooh. yeah, we're doing Tusk soon. Oh boy, oh. Yeah, that tells you anything.
2: All right, good luck uh, with
0: that. No, it's it's look. You know I love Fleetwood Mac, so I know it's, I know it's all, it's all good. Wayne Wayne might have the heartburn.
1: I'm all right with Fleetwood Mac. I just don't think Rumors is that great.
0: (laughs) All right, first song, You May Be Right. was a single reached number seven on the u.s charts um this was the first u.s single we'll talk about the first single that was released but not here in the u.s so that's that's coming up in a couple songs um for the sound clip i'm gonna have to include the starting bit of the object being thrown into the glass right oh yeah Yeah. absolutely Yeah. yeah um and I should probably just do a sound clip just of the glass shattering, and I'll use that whenever Wayne swears on the podcast. <laughs> I should I should probably replace the the the, the clown car horn, right, Wayne? Oh death f- <laughs> <laughs> uh, I set you up way too way too well for that one.
1: You know, lobbed at me. Two
2: two
0: two words. Eighties sax.
2: All right, <laughs> yeah. that in my notes too. Yeah.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, so good. All right. Um So so Dave, I'm going to start with you since you are you you were you you texted me earlier. You were a week old when this came out.
3: I was exactly 7 days old, yes.
0: <laughs> so was this the first first time that you had listened to this in its entirety?
3: Yeah, actually. Um you know when when you told me that, you know, it was possible that Alexi was, was gonna, you know, do an episode with you. I was like, oh, cool, man. Uh, that's awesome. And, and of course I still very much remember, you know, being in, in high school and, and Alexi playing for the national team with the big hair and all that. And, and, you know, I remember, you know, oh, how cool. Like he plays music too. And I, I just, I guess I just assumed, Alexi, that you would have chosen, you know, some sort of, exactly. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I I just, I like, I assume that. And then my brother's like, okay, so we have a confirmed date and the record is Billy Joel. (laughs) And I'm like, what? But you know, honestly though, um, after, after listening to some of your music, Alexi, before, um, you know, before we recorded this and, and listening to this album, it's like, oh, this all makes sense now. Like, I can hear some of, you know, you guys said DNA earlier with the, you know, Van Halen, like I can hear some of that Billy Joel DNA in, in your music, Alexi. And, and also on top of that, like, thank you, because like, I had no idea about this album other than the singles. And, um, you know, I've been listening to this album on and off and on the last couple of weeks. And, and, uh, as I was coming home from, from school today and, and uh, in my, in my now almost hour long commute, it was like, I'm going to listen to glass houses. This is cool. So, um, yeah, I, I this is an album I, I really enjoy now. So thank you for that.
0: Awesome. Wayne, you, you mentioned previously that you don't really have to th- think too much on the lyrics so um you know that's that's why you're on the podcast why you're one of the (laughs) co-hosts i know
1: i know what there's one in here that i think is is pretty deep robert kriskow didn't give him enough credit but this one's i mean but like i say this one here he goes he comes out this is perfect the breaking glass it ties into the title it also really like it's like just blast into your ear. And I mean, it's a real wake up call. This is, you know, and here we go. And it's a guitar driven song. Um, there is some piano in it, but you really got to listen to find it. Um, and I like the harmonica at the end because it it's always, it's just an interesting touch because it kind of, it's, it comes off of that sax. It's supposed to, it seems like it's supposed to sound like that, but in a, I don't know, just a totally different way to end it. But yeah, every relationship has the crazy one, and if you don't think it does, then it's you.
0: <laughs> right, Lexi, what do you got on this on
2: this song? All right, so uh, this is the perfect opening song, and I know for for your younger listeners out there, sequencing is, doesn't matter anymore. Um, but I think it's really really important, especially when you're listening to a full album and to come out of the shoot with this. And you know, I, I remember listening to. Uh, I remember listening to Steve Stevens, the guitarist for Billy Idol, talk yeah. about when they were writing songs, they needed a flag to start a song. And so, you know, you hear, uh, you know, "White Wedding" uh, or, or any other ones. There's always that moment. And it could be anything, but even you know, the breaking of the glass is that wonderful flag that you know it's about to start. And not only is it about to start, but it's going to start in a completely different way than other Billy Joel. And, and you had mentioned. You know the difference in in this, and even the musicians that he used. This was a band. This was not just mm-hmm. studio guys coming in and laying it down. This was rehearsing and a band, uh, and that and you got that feel right off of uh, right off of the the, the first song. Mm-hmm. Billy Joel with much more gruff type of vocal, China channeling almost. Uh, you know, a a Mick Jagger type of thing. And you mentioned the sax solo, which (laughs) which first there's a guitar solo, and then there's a sax solo. And then not the absence necessarily of keyboards, but the different types of keyboards. And Billy Joel has talked a lot about the Yamaha CP80 that he used, the electric piano that he really went with, which gives it a much more dirty type of sound. So everything that this album is, is kind of encapsulated and introduced to the listener right off the bat. And from a sequencing perspective, you I don't think you can come out with a a more perfect opening type of number. And his lyrics were always um, not super
0: provocative. I mean, every once in a while, he would throw in a Captain Jack and you'd be like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, but for the most part, he was pretty straight laced. I feel like he took some chances on lyrics on this record, Uh, and there aren't many better verses than... The, the verse of remember how I fanned you there alone in your electric chair and told you dirty jokes until you smiled. I mean, that whole verse is just, it's, it, it's straightforward, but it's just, it's witty and a little provocative. Uh, you know, I mean, it's not for 2020, but for 1980, <laughs> that, that was, you know, that was a little spicy. Mm hmm. So, all right. Anything else before we, Get some scores on this,
2: Bedford Stuy. You know, I didn't know what that meant when when I first heard it, and you know, so the lyrics again, I think, were much grittier. And yes, he is a storyteller in his lyrics, but I think the the references and they're 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 throughout the record. Um, I I you know, I think they painted a picture, but in a different way. I mean, he was telling stories in a very different type of way, and the, you know, the the drumming and uh, uh, is just like. It's 70s, but it's also already starting to move into that, that 80s type of feel. And, yeah. you know, obviously with the change oh, yeah. of the decade and everything. And, we, and he's, you know he's, he's been taken to task at times because of this album, because of, you know, the Elvis Costello type of comparisons. And there are so many influences on this album. We're going to go through them all. But it, it's amazing. Even in this song, there, you know, he's running the gamut of, of different people and, and different things that you can hear different than we've heard in the past. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, Um, so I'm just going to throw the gauntlet down. This is my top score. Wayne?
1: Eight.
0: Dave? Uh, Seven. And then Alexi? I also uh, have a seven. All right. So next song is, I I was going to say, so I want some help when I introduce the next song. So when I say sometimes a fantasy, you guys have to go, whoa. (laughs) Okay. All right, you guys ready? So next song is sometimes a fantasy. Whoa.
1: (laughs) That was that was awful. (laughs) We pulled it together towards the end.
0: was a this was a single peaked at number 36 um and uh i had no idea until i started looking at the lyrics so my my 10 and 11 12 year old brain that was listening to this song Mm -hmm. i had no idea this was about phone sex
1: absolutely
3: i i nearly texted you one day about this song and like is Billy Joel really singing about phone sex right now? And then I, like, I didn't end up texting you because ultimately I was like, it's Billy Joel. That's just me being silly. Like, of course he didn't write, you know, of course that's not what the song is about, but, uh, yeah, it
2: sure is. (laughs) But isn't that what, isn't that what writing's about though? I mean, I know it isn't anymore. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's overt now, but, you know, back then, being able to say something without directly saying it was the art, was the ro- was the romance, and was the creativity of it.
3: Oh, for sure. You know, this could be something that your mom could listen to on the AM radio, and she, you know, she's singing along, and she's not in on the secret. And of course, yep. you can be chuckling in the background, <laughs> going like, "I know what the song is really about." Good job, Billy Joel.
0: So now I need to go re-listen to Aldo Nova. Is is the fantasy for him also phone sex?
1: Yeah, we'd have to break that one out. We need to break that one down. Referenced in a long time.
2: Oh, don't get me started on Alvanova. Oh, (laughs) no. I love Aldo.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: What what do you guys think about the sound effects to start this song as well? I mean, he did the sound effect for for the first one.
1: He goes to this well, you would think too many times, but I think all three times he does it, he, Mm -hmm. you know what? He knocks it out of the park. Is it, it's a touch cheeky, but I think it's, it's, Perfect, though, it, because that's I don't think the lyrics I, they are when you they are uh, they are overt, but they're not. But it, he just plays it, plays right through it. And there's no there's nothing. You know, he doesn't say anything, any of the key words that would tip anybody off. But when you read it, it's absolutely about calling your girlfriend and trying to get her to talk dirty to you. And she says, why don't you call one of those nine, seven, six numbers? <laughs> I mean, but what I loved about this song is. You know, Billy Joel's not typically out on the front of any curves. I mean, but New Wave was really not a thing at this point. I mean, I imagine in New York and in LA, but the rest of we had the rest of us hadn't heard, you know, missing persons or, you know, uh, Duran Duran or or any of those those SoCal uh, New Wave bands that were going to be out. So he's kind of a little bit because this had with his synth he he does and he gives it that it's got a new wave feel to it. That's, that's actually ahead of the actual new wave.
0: And this came out just a couple months after the knack. Okay. So, so I, I guess if you're looking at it in that context, Wayne, you know, he, he was trying to inject a little bit of that new wave. And I don't know if you call the knack new wave. Um, I just call them awesome. So,
1: yeah, but the, um, the backing vocals and the drums uh, really contribute to that, to to the new wave feel of this. Because the yeah, name that came up, not specifically on this one, but on a couple of songs, is Joe Jackson. Mm-hmm. Not so much Elvis Costello. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. And if, if you're try- trying to say that this is a new wavy song, I would say that keyboard right out of the chorus, I mean, that's that's pretty new wave. I mean, that's more pressure that's going to come on the next real studio record so um alexi what 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 do you got on sometimes a fantasy
2: well so you're, you know you're talking about the the new wave influence and this is this is why i think he's so brilliant is that he actually took what what was going on and he actually did it better and he was accused of you know co-opting it but i still maintain that he's so good and so he's so diverse and an ability to do so many things well that he took a genre that wasn't necessarily his and made it his in a, in a unique way. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that it was much more progressive. And yet the the vocal in, uh, in Sometimes a Fantasy is basically Elvis-esque. Uh, with that, you know, that plate reverb type of thing that was going on. And again, he's just meandering through all of these different influences, both in terms of the sounds and the things that he's saying. You know, the, the angry young man has now become this creepy young man. Uh, and the mm-hmm. synths, and then, you know, I know we didn't do it justice with the uh, with those backup uh, ooh-ooh-oohs and then the syncopation <laughs> at times. So, <laughs> so it's not the exact same thing each time. So it's, oh, oh, oh and there's oh-oh-oh-oh. Oh, I, I love that difference, right. uh, you know, and and that production Uh, And, you know, that's those little things do make a difference. And it's just I I love this song. Yeah. All right. Um,
0: Wayne, what's your score in this one? Five. And then Dave.
3: I did three, but I now hate my score a whole lot because it's, (laughs) it's a great it's a great song.
2: Yeah. Alexi. Uh, I gave it a six. And I will tell you that I played it for my 15-year-old daughter and explained what the opening was so she understood <laughs> what the whole uh, <laughs> thing was. So I,
3: you, you know what, guys? I, I do have a question for you, though. Because, you know, in, in mine and my brother's kind of experience in, in our household, um, I remember when I was being taught how to use the phone when I was a little kid both of our phones were rotary dial. So like, I guess my question is in 1980, is Billy Joel like flexing on all of us that he has a cool touchstone or, (laughs) or, or bro, were we behind the curve? Uh, Probably a
0: little both. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I didn't give my score. This is my eight and it, it probably would have been my 10, but I deducted points for Billy's panting.
3: Oh yeah, that is in there. I, I think that was what tipped me off and led me to nearly texting you. And, yeah, and did, of course like like I said, I was like, ah he it's Billy Joel. There's no way he's writing about that. But did yes, you guys
0: deduct points for the panting?
1: No, I did not.
0: Okay. All right. Well, you're a better person than I am. <laughs> um, all right. Um next one is Don't Ask Me Why.
4: style now you parle francais do Don't look for answers. You took your chances. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me why.
0: This was third single from the record. Uh peaked at number nineteen. But two weeks at number one on the adult contemporary chart when they used to, you know, have that. Um, <laughs> or should I pronounce it, don't ax me why? Because <laughs> he does that a couple times during it. He enunciates on a couple parts, but then he says ax on a couple different times. So oh. I'm gonna I don't have know.
3: to go back and listen again. Yeah. Uh, Alexi,
0: what do you got on this one?
2: Uh, beautiful song, um, and uh, the fact that there's a a moment of of French, uh, I couldn't help but think that that's a foreshadow uh, of things mm-hmm. to come. Oh, yeah. uh, very Beatlesque. So once again, different influences uh, going on in in terms of the song and the vocal, and then that vaudeville uh, Spanish type of breakdown that it has in it. Uh, you know, I just thought with, came out of came out of nowhere, um, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, in in terms of the beauty of this of the song, because you know these aren't necessarily beautiful songs, uh, and they're did, not designed to be. This is the first moment of a much more Billy esque beauty, and a more tra- I guess a more traditional type of be- of Billy Joel beauty esque type of song um, than than we've seen or heard. Yeah, yeah. Wayne, what do you got?
0: Parlez-vous français, Wayne?
1: Yeah, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, don't do uh, I like. I, I think there was a my life vibe to it that that lowered my score because I do like the song. This is the one song that I feel like he it, there is some subtext. subtext. Um, it feels very autobiographical. There's some you know the 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 Grand Cafe and the and the hotel references the kind of the a success making it big, but then the, the second verse about all your life you had to stand in line. Uh, but now, but you're still standing on your feet. Now your calendar's full. It's like, he's felt back that he was referencing back to when he, he, he was struggling a little bit. I mean, his turnstiles was not, it wasn't a hit. Um, but he also, what makes me really think that he is that that's what he's saying is he in the one line, you're no stranger to the street. And his two big. His two previous albums that were big mm-hmm. two number twos and number ones were the stranger and 52nd street. So i I do believe, and this is acoustic guitar driven, except for that big electric piano solo. Um, This is a mostly acoustic song, but uh, I felt like he was actually was saying something a little more about, you know, it wasn't always, because I mean, the line, every dog must have its every day. I mean, is that that adage is, you know, if you're everybody's going to get some success at some point, if you just keep working at it. And so it's hard to say that that didn't happen.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh do we do we want to ask any more questions or are we ready to do some scores?
1: It's your podcast.
2: <laughs>
0: you're you're the co-host, my friend. You can always you can always take the lead. All right, uh Dave, your score. I gave this a 9. Alexi.
2: 9? you give it a 9? All right. Um no judgment, no judgment here. Sorry. 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 Uh it's all good. Yeah, I gave it a 5. All right. Um, We're
0: going to judge Dave on another song coming up here, too. Um, Whatever, man. I know. (laughs) Wayne, your score? A four. And I'm matching my four. Um, Your four. Um, All right. Next song, It's Still Rock and Roll to Me.
4: Welcome back to the age of child. Where have you been hiding out lately, honey? You can't dress trash until you spend a lot of money. Everybody's talking about the new sound, funny, but it's still rocking old to me.
0: What's the matter with? The and I'm just going to throw this over to Wayne.
1: Oh, I love this song, and more. I actually like, uh, I guess, even more to my my age has more to do with, I, I like the idea of this old, you know, this old has been kind of not, maybe not necessarily has been, but he's asking, you know, what's wrong with the crowd I'm seeing and the, the the music and everything is changing, but, and, you know, what do I got to do to be, you know, it just has all of these, you know, these partly critical and partly confused trying to figure out where pop culture and music and and fashion is going and at the end it's it's still rock and roll to me. I mean it's it, it's all rock and roll in a way it, if your parents aren't listening to it then it's and it's rock and roll.
0: So my question to you is so they talk about everybody or he he writes everybody's talking about the new sound funny but it's still rock and roll to me. Did did he know that the critics were probably going to have some words? for him for changing his, his sound.
1: Oh, um, absolutely. Critics. I mean, he's not a critical darling. They're always saying something about him. Um, but I think this did, I don't know if he put if he had the critics in mind, but I can say, um, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think that, I think he was speaking from his own experience and seeing things change uh, fashions and music. Um, I heard that they, the producer had him lower the snare Um, so that it kind of made that flop sound, which absolutely Mm. changes everything. And I love the sax solo in this because it's very old time rock and roll, which just feels very appropriate to kind of tie the whole thing together, um, with a a nice old time rock and roll sax solo. There you go.
0: Alexi, what do you got on It's still rock and roll to me?
2: Well, for, for a man who eventually would go on and write kind of the quintessential, uh, name or subject te- check type of song with with we didn't right. start the fire um it, you know the whether it's white wall tires or the miracle mile or uh you know tab collars or anything like that you know he starts to rattle off of these things and you know you mentioned old time rock and roll it, it it's real dangerous territory for whether it's a bob seger or or a, a billy joel even at this point to to come off as uh, grumpy old guys, um, com- you know, complaining about the changing music scene, and he man- he manages to to avoid it here, and partly because of the way it was recorded, and it's, it's an incredible balance of the nostalgia, and you know, you mentioned the, the the kind of traditional sax solo, and obviously the lyrical content, but also you know, a really different type of drum sound that we than we've heard in the rest of the album and in a lot of uh, Billy Joel types of songs and he he, he makes it updated I, I guess if if you will and then small things i mean the uh at the end uh, I love I love something like that um and it's uh you know, there's a reason this was designed to be a hit, I think. And that's not a yeah. bad thing. I know sometimes people look at it as, as calculated, but this was strategic and calculated. And I think it hits on every, in, in every possible way.
0: Yeah. And just as a reminder, this was a number one hit. Um, so it topped the charts for two weeks. And, and th- the thing that I like about this is, he's essentially saying, yeah, the, the, the sound is changing, but I'm just going to embrace it because it's still just rock and roll. I mean, he's not, he's not saying get off my lawn kind of thing. You know, he's not saying, Oh, the knack is trying to change what, what rock and roll sounds like. He's kind of embracing that.
1: Yeah. He, I mean, he's basically just telling you, uh, what you need to do instead. I mean, don't waste your money on a new set of speakers. You get more mileage from a cheap pair of sneakers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Alright, um let's get scores. Alexi, what do you got? Uh I have for still rock and roll to me a four. All right. Dave. I gave this my six.
1: Wayne? I gave it a ten. This was my favorite song.
0: All right. And this is my seven. All right. Next song is All for Lena. So Wayne, And um, remember how I said that um, there was a single that was not released as a single in the U.S.? This was it. It was released in the U.K. as the first single off the record. Reached number 40 in the U.K. Um, What's strange is that the next single, which was the hit in the U.S., which was You May Be Right, didn't chart in the U.K. (laughs) I saw that. So if that just tells you anything about the differences of what we were listening to and what our friends across the pond were listening to a little bit different. Um, So I posted this on the old interwebs when I was uh, listening to this record uh, a couple days ago. And I asked people what their top song on the album was. A few said, you know, one of the hits um, friend of the, the podcast, Wayne Bud Verge, He's always got to be a little bit uh, out there. Uh, he said either television or sleep alone. But um, here's the list of all the people who said All for Lena is their favorite song. Andy Shaw, Pat Francis, John Porabil, John Lamero, Michael Begford gave me a few top songs. This was one of them. Kevin Osterhout, Carrie Scott, Jeff Scoble. Dan Charbonneau, Slide Dog Music Cast, which is Brian Jacobs, Joe Reynolds, and Baron Dunn-Briggs, which I'm probably slaughtering your name, sorry. Um, all those folks said that this was their favorite song, which it's not one of the hits, but um, it's it's definitely a memorable
2: song for Billy. Is that pretty accurate, Alexi? Absolutely accurate. I mean, I, I remember years ago, tweeting about this song and the reaction to it. And it is it is a strange choice for a first single in in, in whatever country you put it out in, um, considering all the other ones that are, I think, much more single-esque and, and radio-friendly. But for me, this is, this is the best song on the album. Doesn't mean it's necessarily my favorite, but it's the best song on the album. Um, and I think it has every component. Um, but but strangely isn't as punk or new wavy as some of the other songs um you know it's got it's got a lead keyboard type of thing almost like a i mean this is before like bon jovi runaway type of thing but that I, that whole vibe uh,
1: that is they should check cuz that might absolutely. be copyright i literally sang uh on the streets where Girls want to talk about their social lives It's very close
2: It is probably I mean it's a couple years later uh, We know what John
1: Bon Jovi was actually listening to
2: Right? I mean And and he's singing at the And and Billy's singing at the upper end of his register And and it's just a It's just a kick ass song I think Wayne you didn't like this as
0: much as the rest of us How come?
1: Um, First of all Lena what a bitch He could have got killed on those (laughs) rocks Um, (laughs) And yeah, the stolen, key, I think most of it, it's not, it's not the song in and of itself. I think, uh, as a story, it's a, it's, it is a good story. Um, I think it's like he, he touched on uh, Alexi touched on it's, it's mostly keyboard. And so it felt thinner, like, uh, than the other tracks that have mm-hmm. a lot more instrumentation. This was kind of led by the keyboard. Um, but that's. It, it's like I say, he died. You and you want to you you want to feel bad for the guy, but it, ultimately it's his fault. It was just a one night stand, dude. I mean, you can't you can't obsess. But she is crazy, and she's trying to get him killed.
0: So you're not giving this a lower score because you had Elena in your life.
1: Oh no, I absolutely did. I had two, but <laughs> that, that didn't <laughs> that didn't that didn't affect the score. I, okay. I, I tried to keep I try to remain impartial to that. It was it was the music. It was it was thin.
0: All right, you still you still going to therapy, right?
1: Every third week.
0: All right, good good man. All right, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Wayne, your score? About three. Dave,
3: dude, this is my ten. That that keyboard <laughs> solo, that keyboard solo in the middle, put that in my veins, man. That was great. This is my all top right. song, man.
2: Excellent, Alexi? Uh I give it a nine. And uh, it's the fifth song, so it was the last song on the first side. And I'll, I'll never forget as you get through. And sometimes those songs aren't great, the fifth song on the first side, when all we right. used to play actual mm-hmm. records and stuff like that. And so this, this blew me away. So nine.
1: yeah. yeah everything is- on the first side was released as a single, somewhere. Somewhere,
2: yeah.
0: Um, all right, I'm matching your nine. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's flip the record over. We're gonna start with I don't wanna be alone.
4: And I watch it tonight, although you heard me before. It didn't matter that I felt like a fool, cause I forgot when she walked through the door I said I'm sorry, but you said it was cool and I don't wanna be alone anymore.
0: And like I mentioned, um you know, this was uh you know, six months ago was the first time i that I remember listening to to decide to decide b. um I think this is the song you know we already threw out the Joe Jackson, Elvis Costello, and Nack. I think that this is the song where he was trying to be the most new wavy. like this song for for me, Wayne sounds the most Elvis Costello. yep.
1: Oh, and and I and I've I've really thought Joe Jackson because I think it's uh, the keyboards and the the way the drums work together and like I say it's got this real cool jazzy guitar strum in the verse and then it goes into a it goes into the chorus it has I wouldn't say it's it's punk but it's got so, it's something punky about it but uh, I like I say I don't th- I don't know that he was intentionally going for Joe Jackson but I felt like this was this record was his most Joe Jackson-like, and I thought this song particularly was his most Joe Jackson, but Joe Jackson and Elvis Costello have very similar, they have a lot of similarities. Sure.
0: Yeah. you can see that. Um, Dave, th- this didn't rank very high for you. Um, was that because you're, you don't really remember the Joe Jackson, Elvis Costello stuff like we do?
3: Yeah, that must be, that must be exactly it. And, my my only note that I put on there was slightly cheesy. So like I don't know, there's something about this this '80s song that didn't quite hit with me. I, I have to say, I think this album more than the other ones that I've been on the pod for. Like even even my one and my two, I actually really really like a lot. So um, so even though this is not not in you know probably a way lower score than you guys. I, I definitely don't hate it. Um, I, I think right. it's a great song.
0: Let's get scores then. What was your score
3: on this, Dave? Um, this is my two. Sorry, all right. it's all good. And
0: Alexi,
2: yeah, I don't think this is a very good song. I think this is a two, and I completely agree that the whole Elvis Costello uh, crooner low type of thing in the in the verse is is ridiculous. All right, Wayne, your score.
1: I gave it a nine. I guess I, I like. That. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I'm I'm somewhere in between there. This is this is my five, um, but I I like it as a as a side opener.
3: Yeah, I could buy that. I could buy that. Okay.
0: All right. Um, all right. Next song: "Sleeping with the Television On."
3: But you won't hear-
0: And I'm just going to defer over to Alexi, get
2: us started. Uh, okay, this is the best song on the album for me, and that I like it the most. Um, Sleep on the television. Okay, the the anthem sign-off, once again, I had to explain it to my daughter what, the, what that whole thing was, that, that actually there was a point where television and television stations, well, first off, there was only... Three of them, and they right. stopped at a certain point at, in the night and actually didn't continue on at which point you played the national anthem, and then the uh, you know the the snow would uh, come up so you know there's another one with that flag at the very beginning. I think that this is fun eighties perfection, uh and I think the background vocals uh take what was already a great song and make it that much better
1: yeah
0: who who's Diane in this? Do we ever know? I
2: don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think we all have a Diane, I mean, but uh, she. I don't stalk her like you
0: do with Lena.
1: (laughs) No, I, (laughs) uh, she tormented me. uh. (laughs) But I I think once again, this is the one where my score, I I felt like I I would have liked it to have been higher. Because it does, it combines that piano with the electric guitar Mm -hmm. in in just a really strong way and he's 3 for 3. Like I say, you usually can't go to those kind of uh ch- cheeky song intros with the with the sound of sound clips and knock and I think he knocked it out of the park all 3 times.
0: I hate my score for this, guys. Um this is Whoa. my 3. Um and not that I hate the song. I I do like the song. I knocked it down for the gimmicky national anthem thing cuz I thought it worked on the other two songs but I don't know. It didn't work for me on this one. Um, so Alexi already said this is top song.
3: Dave, this is my eight. Um, I agree with Wayne on the the guitar and the and the uh, organ and piano working together. Simple, simple guitars, but they do a lot with what little they do. All right, and then Wayne a six.
0: All right, next song. Uh, does anybody want to do the French pronunciation? <laughs> no, <Nope>. uh, <laughs> c'était toi, c'était toi,
3: okay, c'était toi,
0: which means you were the one. Oui, I'm looking for
4: comfort that I can take from someone else, but after all, I know there is no one that can say.
0: dave you're the only one that didn't have this as their lowest score so how come i
3: thought i thought you guys were gonna grill me for a different song but okay um I, I, you know, I, I think it has something to, just to do with the fact that a lot of it was in French. Um, and maybe that's just a soft spot in my heart. Um, I took French in high school and, and, uh, while I don't remember much my French and I'm pretty sure if I read through the lyrics again, I probably could only tell you about half of what's going on, but, uh, um, yeah, I just I I love that. It kind of came out of nowhere, and you know, I, Alexi already alluded to it. Of you know, it says Parlez-vous français earlier in an album, and then all of a sudden, boom! Here's a bunch of French uh, coming at you later in the album. So, yeah. um, I I just I love that tie-in a whole lot, and so I probably elevated my score a little bit for that tie-in a little bit just for my own nostalgia and. You know, I, I i think it's pretty good. Um, I, I think I had it rated a little higher earlier in the day today, but as I like kind of went back and, and listened to the album a few times today at work, I, I kind of realized, okay, yeah, like it's a good song, but I'm, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm kind of shocked you guys rated it low. So Wayne,
0: yeah, what's, if if what's if you and I would have taken french in high school instead of spanish would we have liked the song better
1: i don't know but i could say hello ben at the beginning of most podcasts uh my notes just say (laughs) too much french and musically felt very familiar
0: yeah alexi anything on this one yeah it's a horrible song it's a horrible (laughs)
2: song (laughs) Uh, precisely because of the french i mean like you think about like Rick Springfield had French in songs. April Wine had French in songs. It, it just it, it just drives me nuts. It doesn't it doesn't work, and it doesn't work for a Billy Joel song. And the, even if it wasn't in French, it would still not be a very good song in the way that he sings. I just don't think it. I don't think it fits with the album. All right, so I'm gonna I'm going to um,
0: give you a quote from Billy Joel himself from Entertainment Weekly in 2002. All right, here we go. I had had a huge hit with honesty in France and I went to France and performed. (laughs) Do you remember the movie, the producers, how after they do springtime for Hitler, the audience just sits there. Well, that's what the French did after I performed this song. The worst thing you can do to the French is to massacre their language. After the show, I asked the promoter what happened. And he said, well, they thought that you were singing in Polish. (laughs) (laughs) that's when i said well this song really sucks (laughs) let me tell you what the name of the article was the article was called the worst song i ever wrote (laughs) oh wow all right so there you go um but you know hey one man's trash is another man's four so
3: you know what? If Alexi's going to die on the Rat Hill, I will die on the Cetetroit Hill. <laughs> for
1: everyone. There we go. Okay. I have a higher opinion of this song than Billy Joel.
0: Yes, exactly. All right. Uh, next song is Close to the Borderline. The song was originally written in 1977 but wasn't finalized until they recorded it for this. Anyone else think that this is a precursor to Pressure? No one? Just me? No, I
1: didn't. I think this... I can say this song starts out great and some gets, it bogs down a little bit, but I, the way it starts out with like that blackout heat wave, you know, 44 caliber homicide, Mm -hmm. it, it really comes. It's almost kind of Dylan esque in that, but it, it kind of runs out of, of steam somewhere towards the end. But I definitely, definitely related to the protagonist's feelings of, you know, all of these struggles in life, uh, Whether it's you know crime and the media and disrespectful youth and the rich get richer and to the point where he just almost he's he's still a good guy he's hanging in there but it's he's close to the borderline.
0: Yeah, I got two words that I wrote on my notes: Liberty DeVito. Yep. Oh yeah, the drums are so good in this one, Alexi. What do you got on?
2: I mean, this is, this is a true rock song. This is not a punk song. This is a true rock song. You know, again, I had Liberty also in, in my notes here. Um, I love the, the lyrics about the decayed and rotten apple that, that at that point was NYC before, you know, the uh, beautification of it. I love, you know, again, simple things like the, the rolling of the R's on Rich Man, Poor Man. I, I yeah. love that type of stuff. This is, it's just, I think this is a great song. Great song.
0: Yeah, and I love the lyric of "I didn't think I needed anything, but you can't afford to squander what you're not prepared to pay." Ah, mm-hmm. uh, it's good.
3: All right, um,
0: Dave. Oh man! Rebuttal, rebuttal.
3: I I, I feel like you all are about to kill me again because um, this is <laughs> this is my lowest score. <laughs> um, oh I, sweet I, Jesus! Yeah. Really? <laughs> um, <laughs> Sad. i'm sorry he's um,
0: 11 years younger than me just so yeah. You know.
3: yeah i was a week old when this came out <laughs> I no mean, um, nah, I, I to me it was just like a straight ahead rock song and and like i said earlier like all 10 of these songs i really enjoy um and it just so happened you know this i picked this one i i think i just picked this one as as my one just because it, it felt kind of the most straight ahead um you know some some of the songs from from this record I enjoy a lot more because I know Wayne used the word familiar um, with Billy Joel and, and when I think of Billy Joel a lot I, I do think about listening to you know his songs on the radio on, on the AM radio, whether I was driving around, you know sitting in the back seat of the car, or like in my dad's dental lab while he was working, you know. And
0: those uh, weren't the rockers you were listening to.
3: No, these were, yeah, I- exactly. Those were not the rockers I was listening to. But of course, you know, a lot of the music that I really enjoyed, you know, growing up, were more rock songs. So I, I, I think with migrating this album, it was like I like the old Billy Joel stuff that I heard when I was a little kid, and I also like the rock stuff. So anytime he any time here that he kind of turned on that rock knob a little bit higher, it was like, okay, I, I like this too. So uh borderline kind of just fits somewhere in between those two things. And so as as kind of the more just kind of straight ahead rock song, I I ended up rating it the lowest. So uh my uh, my apologies, everybody.
0: All all good. <laughs> Alexi, your score? Uh I gave it an eight. And then Wayne.
1: I gave it a seven.
0: And this is my six. And then we're wrapping this up with Through the Long Night.
4: The warm tears, the bad dreams, the soft trembling shore.
0: Yes, this would be as close to a ballad as we would get on this record. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd say so. Shortest song on the record: two minutes forty-four. Um, actually, this entire record: ten songs, thirty-four minutes. Perfect. Yeah, this is this is one that you can get in and out pretty pretty quick. Um,
2: good album closer. Depends what you like. I mean, if I, I think it's a, a a nice bookend in that it it reverts back and says, "All right, I did that. I showed you that I can do it." Uh, I, I, oh, sorry, I, I want to swear. Right, I, I did it. I, I was awesome in the way that I did it. <laughs> but I'm still Billy Joel, and I think the Billy Joel voice and the you know the adherence to to melody and you know there's flute and you know, all the different stuff that goes on. I think it it's a wonderful final song in that it reminds us that Billy Joel is, is is even more than what we've just heard. But if, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. There's a video out there of Billy talking about this song. He wrote, he wrote this about somebody who said it's not a suicide song. I know some people have said this, this is a song about suicide. He says in the video, this was essentially this person was losing their grip on reality. So it's not a song about suicide is what I got out of that video. It's just, they're going through something and he's needing to give them a little bit of emotional support. Not, not essentially talking them off the ledge. So for, for for anyone who's deep diving on the lyrics on this, so.
1: Yeah, well I did try to deep dive on the lyrics. Um, Ultimately my score was based on the fact that I think the lyrics are, are dark, and the music didn't get dark enough. It was it was kind of yeah. slow, okay. but it doesn't, wasn't necessarily dark enough. Because like I say, um, I did not, I saw it from the perspective at first. The first time I kind of heard it, it felt like there for somebody's last moments. Um, and then I almost got a, you know, a Ben Folds 5 brick feel out of it. Like they had, either she had had a miscarriage or there was or something to that effect. And so it just all of the images that I got from it. And the lyrics were very dark and sad and the music didn't, it didn't get dark enough or sad enough to match it.
0: You wanted a little good night, Saigon.
1: Oh, that's a great song. Man, that is it. That is, That's, that's one of my favorite Billy Joel songs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Me too.
1: Um,
0: all right, let's get scores. Um,
3: Dave, I gave this a five.
0: Alexi, I gave it a three. This is my 2 and Wayne.
1: Also my dupes.
0: All right. Any any parting shots? Any anything that uh, we want we want to talk about the album or
2: did we cover everything? Just I mean, you you mentioned Liberty DeVito and in all the the musicians and <laughs> there's plenty of fallout from that band and those that that group uh, as they go on, but yes. this was a moment in time and a pocket where they were a true for a solo artist that they were a true band, and I think that they, I think they captured what they what they were looking for. Yeah, you guys
0: watched the documentary. What was it called? Hired Gun.
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah.
0: A lot, lot of conversation about this this band that Billy had put together, and they were fantastic. They really were. Um. All right. Any guesses on our top top pick? Just so you guys know, we were all over the place as far as our <laughs> yeah. No <laughs> kidding, no kidding. Um, so um, top top song is "You May Be Right." You'll be right. Okay. Uh, all for Lena. Wayne tried to tank it for us, but that that still uh, still still got a seven point seven five average score. So that's our second. There's a a two way tie. For uh, or a tie for, for third. Uh, it's still rock and roll to me, and Sleeping With The Television On got a 6.75, and then I got a three-way tie for fifth with a 5.5 average score, sometimes a fantasy, don't ask me why, and close to the borderline. So really, the only thing we're kicking out is I Don't Want To Be Alone. Um, that French song, and uh through, through through the long night
3: C'était toi. C'était toi
0: yeah um you too yeah
3: okay um, <laughs> all
0: right so that's you know the, i think that 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 kind of shows how great this record really is
2: mhm
0: yeah is this is this the best billy joel record
1: mm. Oof. It's not my
2: favorite. I think it is. I I I, I think so, and, and it, which is strange to say because it's it's not definitive of of who he is. As a matter of fact, either who he was or who he then became. I mean, even like you talked about the drum sound. I mean, the next yeah. album that comes out. I mean, I know you're in the '80s and everything like that, but that that raw, soft, intimate type of of drum sound goes away, and we get into. You know a completely different way of of recording and, and sounds that the that that he uses and that that whole 80s uh production used yeah. so you got but I love sure. it coming I up. love it All- Allen
0: town's coming up mm-hmm. yeah yeah um Wayne what did you say 52nd Street
1: no I would say it's <laughs> I have a theory that everybody has uh, the song that they tell everybody is their favorite Billy Joel song. And then their actual favorite Billy Joel song. And the song that I would tell everybody my favorite Billy Joel song is, is scenes from an Italian restaurant, but it's actually only the good die young, but they're both from Mm -hmm. the stranger. So
0: I think the stranger is my favorite. Yeah. It's just a solid, solid record. Dave. Dave. I know that this was your first dive really into to Billy Joel. Do you do you have a favorite? Have you have you dove? Have you dove enough?
3: <laughs> I, I definitely have not. Um, but you know, it was it was very cool to to listen to a full album because again, all all I really know is you know what I've heard on the radio growing up, and um, of course, River of Dreams, which i tease you about every once in a while so um but yeah i i'm this is this has been eye opening i guess i should say like i'm i'm definitely going to go back and check out some some more of these albums so uh you know there have been parts of this podcast today where i've just been sitting back and listening um and, and trying to take it in uh so i can figure out where to go next
0: so i'm i'm fully going to admit this So I know that you and I, Dave, have have joked about River of Dreams and how much we hated it. When it first came out, like, I just absolutely hated it. Like, Billy Joel in 93 was just a punchline. Because what I was listening to in 93 was, you know, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and... Mm -hmm. Um, let's see what else was coming out around that time. Uh, Lemonheads and, you know, the, 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 the zenith of the alternative rock was, was during that time, Matthew Sweet, what, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so my, my friend who is on the play disc podcast, John, he and I did our own version of a Twitter listening party where we listened to this together and we just kind of tweeted back and forth to each other. There, there are some clunkers on that, but listening to it with different ears, listening to it as a father as well, it kind of changed a little bit for me. Like I don't hate it now. Like it's not one of those CDs that I'm going to um, turn around and, you know, try and convince somebody that they should buy it off me for a quarter.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I think it's important to go back and, and listen to things with, with different ears. Cause yeah. you know, I, you know, like, like m- my best friend Grant, who I mentioned earlier, like, you know, he, he has seen you two in concert before I did. And he made fun of me in high school for listening to you two which Maybe rightly so, because, you know, Disco Tech was a single at that time. But Ugh. yeah, I know. So, yeah. um, you know, but I had I had grown up with with Joshua Tree, thanks to you. And so, like, I loved you, too. But I I think, you know, my friends now can kind of like look back and be like, actually that song's good. And that song's good. And that's, you know what, YouTube's actually not that bad, you know? And, and I think also just for me, you know, not as your brother, but as a, you know, now a fan of the pod, um, you know, I, I like going back and seeing some of these albums that you deep dive into because they're, you know, there's a lot of albums here that I would not pay any attention to. Um, But now I'm kind of hearing things with different ears, you know, now that I'm older and my musical tastes have branched out so much more.
0: Alexi, thank you so much for choosing this one.
2: Yeah. Oh, no. I Thank you guys for agreeing to do it, and I hope that the people that are listening, uh, if they've listened to it, I'm sure they agree. I'm sure they disagree. That's kind of <laughs> what what the point is here. And I can I that can is. no more tell somebody what a, the, a good song is than I can tell them what a a good wine or a, a piece of art or a, a person you know the way they look or anything like that. It's it's all subjective, and and uh, I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: So tell people where they can find all of your happenings.
2: So uh, you mentioned the uh, the podcast, the State of the Union podcast. You can get it on all the different platforms. So I've been in the podcast world for many years now, uh, and there's more and more people coming in. Um, it's uh, you know we talk about soccer and we look at soccer through the lens of we say red, white, and blue colored glasses. So a lot of it is uh, uh, relative to what's happening with American players and what's happening in uh, American soccer. I continue uh, to thankfully uh, have a job and I work for Fox Sports, and uh, you can see me talking about Major League Soccer or the national teams or anything else. Uh, out there when it comes uh, to soccer and i continue to do that uh i live here in, in los angeles and as i said we're you know just stumbling through what is uh, 2020 hope everybody's doing everything they can uh, to stay safe and sane and um you know yeah. that's about it and then the music as you mentioned is all out there on the, all the different uh Uh, platforms, Spotify and Apple Music and everything else out there. And uh, you can check it out. It's it's straight ahead pop rock type of stuff. Uh, You know, I mentioned like Rick Springfield, which is a huge influence and, you know, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, Last question. We lift this from a fellow podcaster. So who do you know that I don't know that should uh, come on our podcast to talk about some music?
2: Who do I know that the talk about music? Um,
0: and they don't have to be a musician. I mean, we're we're, we're we've had authors on. Um, if we can ever get that uh, two-time NL MVP to come back, Wayne, we have a baseball player lined up as well. So,
2: yeah. Well, man, I mean, you know. It- Clint Dempsey has a musical past and, uh, you know, but he's, <laughs> he's kind of in the woods right, right now, but yeah, if, you, if you get him on, that would be interesting because he, you know, he put out, uh, he, you know, he's a, uh, an accomplished rapper and, uh, he would yeah. be interesting to talk to about his musical influences and how rap and rap music and his rapping, uh, influence. Cause he was, he's always been a very shy man. And for those that don't know, Clint Dempsey is, is one of the, the great American players ever to play the game, but also very stoic, uh, reserved, uh, off the off the field um but you know this this strange occurrence happened where you found out that he rapped and he ended up putting out a rap album which was so so unexpected and wonderful uh, actually so that would be an interesting thing if you could do that
0: i would love to know what he would pick what what's his influence exactly, what what yeah. i haven't listened to to it so like is he more Eminem? m is he like tribe
2: i mean what what's his what do you think <laughs> you're asking influence? the wrong guy i have no all idea right. i mean right. uh, right. i'm sure people are listening going you, you moron it's blank or whatever whatever yeah. it is yeah. so whatever that genre is or that uh you know that, that that rapper all right sounds like i got some homework to go do yeah all right yeah yeah
0: All right. Uh, As a reminder, you can find all of our old episodes by going to Records Revisited Podcast. Of course, we're on the socials. Just find us out there. Um, uh, Wayne is manning the Instagram page. Um, where Where do they find us? Records Revisited Podcast. Pretty easy. I'm pretty active on the old Twitter at Podcast Records. And, of course, you can find us on all the major platforms where you can rate and review us. Please go subscribe. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. I would tell you to go to a live show, but you know the drill on that. So go find your favorite musicians and support any of their live stream events that they're doing. You can go buy a t-shirt of the band and I'll come more prepared next time with a Van Halen t-shirt because um, the shins didn't cut it for, for me, for Alexi. Um, buy a record, visit a record store. You you can do that. Just mask up and you know be socially distanced and You know, be smart. Oh, and um, one other thing. Go vote. We are Records Revisited, and we are
3: out.
0: Awesome.